We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. You're trying to run a campaign... Right now in the world of coronavirus. Oh, yeah. So you can't do the normal rope line and have a hundred people at a rally. And so how do you adjust? Well, and, 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 and we're in a state where a third of the state does not have broadband access. Right? Okay. So one of the things you would think you do, you can do a, a video town hall or you can do some, but in your rural communities that don't have access to broadband you got to go there you got to go there um, what we are what we're thinking about is how can we amp up our game on radio you know getting on gospel stations and, and having call-ins where if you call in the line and you got a few people in the house and we have to just be creative in terms of being able to get to the people Jamie Harrison is a Democrat running for the U.S. Senate in South Carolina challenging the evil Lindsey Graham. It's hard to win as a Democrat in the South, but Harrison is an experienced political figure who studied poli-sci at Yale. So when he stopped off in New York, I had to ask him about who he is and how he plans to run. It's senatorial candidate Jamie Harrison on Toray Show. Running against somebody who's 100% name ID in South Carolina, that you have to be in people's faces. Hi, this is my story. This is who I am. Yeah. And it's such a contrast. I mean, for us doing this, we visited some counties that have, uh, I, I'll give you Allendale County, for instance. This is a county that the, the state has taken over their school systems on a number of occasions. Poor African American county. Uh, it's in the southwestern part of South Carolina, right on the border of Georgia. Um, and I asked them, I said, well, you know, have you seen Lindsey Graham? And one woman said, I've lived in this county my entire life, and I don't think Lindsey Graham has ever visited our county. And, I mean, he hasn't done a town hall in almost three years. Uh, and part of this is Lindsey Graham has never really had opposition. So he's just coasted in every time. Uh, and this time he he now does, and uh, and we're going to every county in the state, and we're taking it to them, and we're talking about the issues that are important to those folks. Well, you're going to get forty percent no matter what, right? You got to get ten more percent. Ten more. That's exactly right? right. And you're running against a longtime incumbent senator. Mm -hmm. People may not have seen him, but everybody knows who he is. Ninety five percent name ID. 
So how do you do it? How do you beat it? Well, part of it is even though you have a lot of name ID, that doesn't mean people like you. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that's part of the challenge of Lindsey Graham. Part of the challenge, uh, uh, I think, for for him in this contest is that uh, many folks don't feel as though he has been fighting and addressing the issues that they really care about. I'll give you a perfect example. We've had four rural hospitals that have closed over the past few years in South Carolina. Um, and I've gone to many of those communities and I've asked them, and, you know, a rural hospital, it, 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 when it closes, it's like ripping the heart out of a community because so much is dependent on having that hospital. And now instead of it taking people 15 minutes to get to the hospital, it takes them 25, 35, 45 minutes. doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, right? It, it has no – politics has nothing to do with it. Now it has a real-world impact on the lives of the folks that live in those communities. And I asked him, I said, so has Lindsey Graham been here to address the issue? No. And they're hot. Democrats, Republicans, white, black, they are incensed that nobody's standing up saying this is an issue and we need to address this. And finally, somebody comes in, me, uh, and it gives them hope that maybe things can be better. Maybe things can turn around. And so part of what we are running on in South Carolina, and part of how we do this is we take the old coalition that used to get Lindsey Graham elected and we make it our coalition. Uh, but with some modifications. Now, the base of it, Democratic voters, African-American voters, uh, voters who historically for the past decade or so have not turned out at high rates, but it's partly because they haven't had a reason to. Now they do. There's somebody who comes from the communities that, uh, like the ones they live in, understands the hardships and the fears and the pains and the frustrations, and at the same time, the dreams and the aspirations, and can talk about that in a real sense uh, and give them hope. Uh, and they have that now in me. At the same time, I can go into rural white communities uh, and talk about some of the same things. At the same time, I can also sit at the tables with the Boeings and the BMWs and the Ports Authorities of the world and talk about development and how to expand their businesses, how to uh, make them more profitable and, and at the same time increase um, uh, the, uh, the work standards for their workers. I can do that as well. And so Lindsay has never had a – he hadn't really had a, a steep challenge since he was elected in 2002, but he's never faced a challenger like me. Are you also running against Trump? Because he will be on the ballot when you, you're going to ask folks to – South Carolina is yeah. going to go for Trump. You're asking folks to also well, vote for you. Yeah, so understanding that in South Carolina, Donald Trump got 54 percent of the vote. It means 46 percent of the people did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, I think that is probably a high watermark for the president in South Carolina. His polling has oscillated between 51 and 53 percent ever since that moment. But what we are going to see in order for us to win, that we have to have historic turnout in the African-American vote. The African-American vote in 2016 was one of the lowest turnouts that we've seen in, in that population in, in well over a decade. So we're, we're going to change the demographics of the state of South Carolina with this election. Uh, and so we're going to talk about, you know, we, we don't really even talk about Trump much. This is a frame by which I, I run my race. It is, this is not about Democrats versus Republican. It's not about progressive versus conservative. It's about what's right versus wrong. 
It's wrong for rural hospitals to close. It's wrong for us to have 14 counties in the state of South Carolina where there are no OBGYNs. It's wrong for us, a third of the state, not to have access to broadband. How in the world do we expect our kids to compete with the rest of the world when they can't even connect with the rest of the world? It is wrong for us to drill off of the coast of the state of South Carolina, something that we see Democrats and Republicans alike who agree on. Right. So when we look at these issues in that way, we get it outside of the D.C. speak and, and, and the way that folks are looking at it. And we focus on the issues that people really care about. And we talk about it in the manner that they process those issues. You, you do have to get it out of that D.C. speak because the Democratic Party is very unpopular in the South. How did this happen? The lack of infrastructure uh, and the lack of investment from the National Party. When you cede territory to people, then that's what happens, right? If you don't mow your your lawn, what happens? Like wild weeds and all that type of stuff sprout up. It's the same thing. You got to take care uh, of the base and and make it and 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 make it your own. But when you cede that territory, then all kinds of things grow up. Isn't it also about? The Democratic Party saying, first, we're going to care about black voters, and then over time, we're going to show up for gay voters, we're going to show up for women, and white working class Southerners saying, this is in opposition to us, and we're going to stand against you because you are standing against us, which is not the Democratic Party's message, but they have not been sufficiently pro-union for white working class voters to say, ah, that party's for me too. I, I think I think there's some of that there because part of it is, and this is the attraction I think for Donald Trump, it's the what about me? Who's fighting for me? Who's fighting for my family? Who's fighting for my community? And for whatever role in the 16, that Donald Trump played that role. And that's why I tell, uh, you know, I've told folks on the national level that we have to start making sure that folks feel that there's a spot for them in what we are building. And I am building this new South. And it's a new South that is, that is bold, that's inclusive, that's diverse. But there's a spot for anybody that wants to be in there, right? Uh, regardless of your sexuality, regardless of your outlook, who you pray to, you know, who you love, it doesn't matter. There's a spot for everybody. Uh, we want to make sure, I want to make sure that every person in South Carolina, you could be a poor white Southerner on a farm in South Carolina. I want, I, I'm going to fight for you to make sure that you can live the American dream. If you're a, a black kid growing up in a town like Orangeburg, my hometown, I want to make sure that you can live the American dream. Um, but there's some basic things that we need to make sure. Let's make sure you got health care. Let's make sure that your hospital is open. Let's make sure that you can get onto the internet, right? Just some basic fundamentals that you see in any other state, but you know, South Carolina is constantly being left behind. And it's partly because we have representation that has been caught in, in last century and they want to stay in the last century instead of looking at how we can build South Carolina for the, the century to come. Um, and that's what I'm going to focus on. Let's tell folks who you are, yeah. where you came from. Yeah. What's your what's your life story? So, uh, uh, again, Jamie Harrison, uh, running for a sit-in in South Carolina. I uh, grew up in a small town in South Carolina, Orangeburg. It's the home of two historically black colleges and universities, South Carolina State University and Claflin. Uh, and it was at the center of the civil rights effort uh, 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 in South Carolina during, during the 50s and the 60s. Um, 
my mom was a teenager. She was 16 years old when she had me, uh, dropped out of high school and uh, to take care of me, and we lived with my grandparents. My grandma uh, had an eighth-grade education. She stopped school to pick cotton, and then she worked in the textile industry, and my grandfather had a fourth-grade education. He stopped school to work at a dairy, um, and then he did construction most of his life until he uh, became diabetic. And so, uh, you know, simple people, not a lot of money, uh, almost no money, (laughs) uh, not a whole lot of education, but were rich in terms of the values. Taught me the value of helping other people and just working hard because that's all they knew was how to work hard. And and so it was those values that instilled in me and it, that pushed me along. And so I became the first in my family to go to, uh, to college. I went to Yale University. I uh, graduated from Yale, uh, came back home to South Carolina and taught ninth grade social studies at my alma mater, Orangeburg-Wilkinson, go Bruins. Uh, and then I went to Washington, D.C., where I ran helped to run a nonprofit that helped low-income kids get into college. Then I uh, went to law school at Georgetown. Worked on Capitol Hill for the uh, uh, Mr. Jim Clyburn, the, the, the House Majority Whip. Um, uh, did that for a few years and then private sector. And then I came back to South Carolina in 2012 with my wife and uh, became the first African-American chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married almost 10 years. So it'll be 10 years this year. And you met her at Yale? No, we met at, in D.C. My wife is— but she also went to Yale. She went to Yale Law School. She went to Harvard undergrad. She's a few years younger than I am. Right? Yeah. Harvard. No, <laughs> no, no. No, but she is—I I married up. I mean, uh, listen. Sounds like at yes. Harvard, Yale. Yes, she is. She's You're brilliant. You're just Yale-Georgetown. No. So it's not I mean, the same. Well, listen. She's beautiful. <laughs> she's brilliant. She's a writer. She's an, uh, an artist. Um, she's a academic. And, kids yet? Uh, yes, we have two kids, two How old? boys, How old? five, and uh, our little guy turns one next month. Oh wow! Yeah. Walking yet? Uh, no, but he wants to. Almost. Yeah, almost. It's, it's almost. right around that time. Yeah. So let me jump back, Dad. Where's Where's Dad in the story? Didn't know him. Uh, I I knew him, but he just wasn't in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my it was. Probably right around fourth grade, you know, for a while he was he was present, but then around fourth grade he just kind of dropped off of the face of the earth, and um, and so, uh, and so therefore I've always you know throughout life I've had these father figures who've stepped in, my grandfather, uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn. Uh, He's uh, like a second father. Oh, he really is. I, I call him my political dad. I, everything I learn, I I know about politics. I've learned from him. Um, and uh, the understanding that it's more important to be a workhorse rather than a show horse, um, and the understanding that this is about public service, it's about helping people, um, and if you can help the least of these, you help everybody. That is the divide that they say uh, separates senators. Some are yeah. show horses yeah. who Amen. show up for the cameras Amen. and want to be seen, and some are workhorses who get legislation through. Yeah, and I'm running against a show horse who loves the camera. He yeah. sure does. Oh, my God. I mean, it's it's amazing. You watch the impeachment uh, hearings. He was the first one to run to the cameras, but he didn't. He did not sit in the seat during the impeachment hearing. Half of the hearing, he was outside of the the chamber. Um, but he wanted to talk about it every day. I mean, that's, that's what Lindsey Graham is. He, he craves the attention. He believes that that is what makes him relevant for me. 
what makes me relevant is knowing that you know Grandma Susie has uh, is not taking her blood pressure is taking her blood pressure medicine uh, three times a day as prescribed instead of holding back and only taking it once a day, right? Making sure that people have housing that that the hospitals in our in our state aren't closing. That's what's relevant to me, but. Uh, it's just amazing to see this guy because he's someone who I actually respected. I had a lot of respect for Lindsey Graham. I didn't agree with him on much. Um, but I thought when John McCain was alive, I thought Lindsey was one of those folks that at the end of the day would do what was what was in the best interest of the nation to do or in the best interest of our state. But what I've come to see is I've been conned like so many folks in South Carolina. And we, we thought that we had one person, but it was all necked. Mm. The man I've been watching, Lindsey Graham, over the past few years, is he soulless? I think so. I, he has no moral compass. None. None. No, no, there's no foundation, no backbone. There, there was a joke that a friend of mine told me uh, when I first said I was going to run in this. And he said, you know, the joke when Lindsey first ran for Congress was that he, uh, he went into a neighborhood, he knocked on the door, and he said, hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, and I believe everything you believe. Right. In essence, he will be he's a chameleon. He will be and say uh, wh- whatever you need. Right. And that's that's not what we want. That's no. not what we want. That's not what a leader is. I mean, the person we've seen over the past few years who actually was in the Republican primary. Yes. Trump went out of his way to humiliate him. Yep. Read his phone number from a podium. <laughs> To where Graham's phone blew up. I mean, like person, like saying really horrendous, yes. disgusting things about him personally. Yeah. And at one point, Lindsay was like, "You know, we can't have this man no. running the Republican Party. This is that's insane." To becoming one of his most dependable lackeys who will defend him no matter what, no matter what, what. you and, and and it seems that he's morally bankrupt. Yeah, uh, and it's almost like watching a live version of uh, the invasion of the body snatcher. You're like, <laughs> who is this guy? Really, who is he? And and we just don't know. And I think that's part of what we're seeing the frustration in South Carolina. It's because people thought they knew him. And they respected him. And so we're starting to get, I, you know, conservatives, uh, Republicans who come to my events and they tell me, I voted for Lindsey a number of times in the past. I will not vote for him this election cycle. How'd you get from nowhere yeah. to Yale? I, I mean, I, I was blessed, man. Uh, I mean, part of it was I've always been interested in learning, right? So, and it really started in comic books. Okay, which ones? Uh, DC or Marvel? Uh, I am a Marvel. Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, okay. I, I love all of them because sure. I love cartoons. I love comic. I mean, even to this day, I still, I still. The excuse is I have my son and I can watch cartoons with him, and he loves superheroes. And so I tell him, he says every morning when I get him ready for uh, for school, he says, "Daddy, can you tell me about a new superhero that I can uh, uh, yeah, that I can share with my friends?" And so I tell him about all the the things, and I have I still have some comic books, though my grandma threw out a lot of them when I was a kid. But I was a slow reader. What were your favorites, your comics? Spider-Man, Avengers were also, uh, I was, there's a picture of me when I was in uh, elementary school. You remember the members only jackets? Of course. And of course, you know, the members only jackets had that little yeah. thing on the, on the, 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 yep. on the collar. Yep. Yeah. So 
I turned my maroon members-only jacket into my cape. That okay. was my cape. And on the playground, I would run around with my members-only jacket, and I would pretend to be the Vision from okay. Avengers because Vision was my by far my favorite. And I know most people like the Vision. The Vision was my favorite Avengers um, uh, character. And, of course, I love X-Men as well, and Storm was my favorite on, on, on X-Men. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just love comic books. And I started reading them because one of my uncles was um, uh, deployed in Germany. And he came home once, and you know, usually when you have uh, family in the military, when they come home, they bring gifts for everybody, right? And so he came home, and he brought me this stack of comic books, and uh, I just started reading them. And then it I it just became so addictive that anytime I got uh, my hand on a dollar, I would walk up to the gas station, and I would go to the gas station, and I'd buy a comic book, I'd buy um, some Dunkin' Sticks. And a pack of noun laters. Now later. Yes. <laughs> and, and that was my that was my little ritual. And uh, uh, but you know, uh, so I, I started reading and and uh, and I just loved school. I loved history. Um, and my grandfather and I would watch the news, the evening news, together every night. Because one, uh, we had one. Would you watch which one? Uh, we would watch uh, uh, CBS with Dan Rather. Dan Rather. Yes. Um, uh, now in the morning we would watch, um, uh, God, what's the, the today show? Brian Gumble. Brian Gumble. Yep. And, and so we would get up early. We would watch that, uh, because you weren't going to, my grandfather, when he got home, he wanted to watch the news right? and you weren't going to change, change the channel. So you had nothing. If you were not watch TV, you were watching news. Well, when we were growing up, that 630 oh, na- national news was an institution. It was an institution. News was not free-flowing all yep. day long. You had to be there, yep. at least for the A block of the 630, yes. to really know what was going on. That's exactly right. And and so so I would just sit there, and I would hear about all the, the presidents, and I, I would ask my grandfather questions. And, you know, in retrospect now— my grandfather was probably just making up all kinds of stuff, to- <laughs> but but I took it as gospel, and and so then I would go to school and I would want to learn more about it, and I remember probably the first political memory I have is Jesse Jackson at the 1988 convention. Mm-hmm. Um, keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. And and this is the thing Jesse's from South Carolina. Yes, he is. you know grew up single parent household, and and I just. I was just mesmerized by it. And uh, and then I remember the other, uh, then my first campaign that I got involved in was in 92. I was in maybe a sophomore in high school. Uh, and I was a volunteer for the Clinton-Gore campaign and worked on voter registration, worked the, the booth at the fair. Uh, and that's when I met Congressman Clyburn. And, um, and then, you know, Clyburn got elected in 92 as well. So first African-American uh, since Reconstruction, uh, to be elected in South Carolina. And when I was a junior, I invited Congressman Clyburn. I, he got elected to Congress. I got elected as president of the National Honor Society. Okay. And so I wrote him and asked him to come and install me as president of the National Honor Society. And he actually came. Constituent services. Yes. And so, we've had a lifelong friendship. So you since. said he's your political father. He, he really is... is. Uh, a a massive figure in yeah. South Carolina politics, and He's, now it seems like a you know based on this primary kingmaker. And, yeah, 
Well, what has he taught you? What are some of the core things that he's taught you about politics? You know, the one thing, and, and, and it sort of reinforced things I already knew, but it's about how you treat other people. And, and, and you know, I remember one of my first memories um, with, with Congressman Clyburn after joining his staff. Uh, he had one of his legendary, world-famous fav- Jim Clyburn fish fries. And, you know, all of staff were there. We're cleaning up afterwards. You know, people are there. They eat the fried fish and they drink and they do the electric slide and all this other stuff. And then, you know, it's the cleanup time and the staff's there cleaning up. And we're kicking the tables down and the chairs. And I look over over to my right and I see somebody sweeping. And I look again and it's Congressman Clyburn. And I said, boss, what are you doing over there cleaning up? He said, Jamie. I will never ask you all to do something that I won't do myself, right? And that stuck with me. Uh, and and this, the way that Congressman Clyburn would treat, uh, you know, the the custodial staff, the uh, the security staff on, on the Hill, uh, he would treat them in the same manner that he would treat Nancy Pelosi, who was Speaker of the House. And 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 my grandma always, my grandparents always taught me about that too. Right? She would say the people you see on your way up are the same people you see on your way down, and you want to make sure you treat them the treat them right. Uh, and so, but Congressman Clyburn helped to reinforce that, and actually to illustrate that for me in terms of of of, of being such a tremendous role model. And it's always been focused on the the people in South Carolina. That has been his focus. What about I mean, what else? I'm sure. I mean, you you studied political science. Yeah. I, he's probably a professor of political science. I mean, what else has he taught you that has that you've really been able to take to heart to take into this campaign? Yeah, you know, one of the things for Clyburn, it's about getting the people's work done, right? So I remember situations in which he would write legislation, but because we were in Republican control, whatever. You got some people like, that's my bill. I don't, I don't want anybody else to, but he would write a bill in legislation and then give it to his Republican colleagues to get it through. Because for him, in the end of the day, it was about how it impacts the people. Not about how he can take credit for it, but how it impacts the people. It's about making progress when you can make progress. And he, and he had a very pragmatic approach to it, but it also d- just demonstrated that it wasn't about him. It's about the people that you represent. Uh, and that's the approach that we take on our campaign all the time. It is not about Jamie. This is not a campaign about getting Jamie there or having Jamie's name in the in headlines. It's about the people of South Carolina. How can we improve the lives of those folks who desperately need a helping hand? Jim Clyburn, as a congressman, has a much smaller uh, area that he's got to count, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure he can go shake hands with almost everybody in that area, right? You you cannot shake hands with every single no. person in South Carolina. I'm gonna try. So what? Or you, do the elbow bump right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What is Clyburn's advice in terms of vote counting? Yes, in terms of building a constituency? Well, one the first thing is, you know, one of the things he says is like, Jamie, you have to. People want to be asked for their vote, and so you you have to make you have to make that ask. You can't assume because many times you look at somebody and you assume, oh, that person's Republican. They're they're not going to vote for me. Well, you never know. And Barack Obama was really good at being clear about that. Like, I want, want your, your vote. That's exact. And so every time we go someplace, I tell folks that. I want your vote. I need your vote. And in addition, I have a homework assignment for you. I need you to help me go get more votes, 
right? And that's really, really important because sometimes it's the relation. You have to understand that the fuel of politics are is relationships. Right? That is that is a glue. That's the thing that keeps everything together. But that's also the thing that motivates and moves everything. And so understanding that the power to persuade people is sometimes not even mine. But you know, you talk to a leader in one of these communities. That's a church leader. You talk to somebody that is over a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout troops, or or, or you talk to a, a teacher or a coach. Uh, and they have so much clout in there, and and I think we see that in the in the uh, the Jim Clyburn endorsement of Joe Biden, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When in the end of the day, people were like, "Well, I don't." There, so many people in South Carolina were so undecided, and it wasn't until that moment the exit polls said forty seven percent of the people who voted that day said it was Jim Clyburn's endorsement that helped him to become from move from undecided to decided to support. Uh, to support Joe Biden. And that shows you the power of validators. That shows you the power of relationships because people trust Jim Clyburn. And so therefore, if Jim Clyburn is making this decision, then I am going to make a decision based off of my trust of, of Jim Clyburn. And that's why we go into these communities and we meet community leaders and we meet activists on the ground because we understand that they have a power, they have influence, they, uh, they're respected in, in, in the areas that they are. Um, and, and for us to get to where we need to be, we need to have their support as well. So has he endorsed you? Will he endorse you? Is he campaigning with oh, you already? Oh, my God. I wouldn't be in this race if, without the support of Jim Clyburn. Is, is he, is he, is yes. he, is he, he going he, around the state he with He is all in. All in. So uh, we, we will be doing more events together uh, soon. Um, but he is all in. He, uh, he's cutting a radio spot. He's doing everything. As a longtime South Carolina institution. Yes. Why is it that he never ran for Senate? He, you know, he thought about it. He actually did. And I asked him that. So his nickname when he was in college at South Carolina State University was Senator. Everybody thought that Jim Clapman would run for Senate. I think he thought he would run for Senate. And I think when Strom Thurmond, and because this is the seat, uh, he, he actually had polling done to look at it, to explore it. And he did, just did not see the path. At that point, and 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 part of that is it's a testament to how South Carolina has changed, also. Um, and so, um, so he didn't just focused on uh, uh, his time in in the House, and you know, now he's the highest ranking African American in Congress right now because of his role as House Majority Whip. But you know, it was always my thing. I would have loved to see him uh, become a Majority Leader or even Speaker one day, but yeah. Uh, but uh, he, I think, in some way, he sort of sees my campaign as his campaign. Yeah. 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 What do you think about Tim Scott, the other yeah. senator from South Carolina? You know, Tim and I don't agree on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim's a nice guy. He really is a genuinely nice guy. Um, and, uh, and you know, the moments that Tim has stood up on some things, like uh, against some of these bad judges and all, I've I've – gone on Twitter and, and social media and, and given him his accolades. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, hit him on, on the things that I, I disagree about. I feel disappointed yeah. in him. Well, that, you know? Yeah, there are a lot of folks who do. You know, in many ways, Tim, the way that we grew up was very similar. 
But I think it's a power, it's, it's a testament to the power of influential people coming into your life at when you're at certain crossroads. Um, and so when I think Tim was transitioned from high school to college, there was a, um, you know, handsome issues and all. There was a, you know, Republican businessman who came into his life and really helped put him on you know, the straight and narrow, but had a lot of influence in terms of how Tim looked at the world politically. Hmm. On the flip side, for me, I had people like Jim Clyburn and Earl Middleton who stepped in my life and, and, and really helped to guide me. I mean, I would not have gone to Yale had it not been for this black businessman in, in Orangeburg called Earl Middleton. He was a man who uh, participated in the Tuskegee Airmen Program and um, he uh, uh, got the first Colwell Banker. Uh, he was the first African American to get a Colwell Banker franchise uh, in in South Carolina, and uh, was on the front lines of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, state rep. But he stepped in, and I mean, I was twenty five hundred dollars short in terms of the money I needed to go to Yale, and I would not have gone had I not had it not been for him. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first 
true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. Um, yeah, there's just been, there's so much, there's so much racism in yeah. the Republican Party, especially over the last eight to 12 years. Um, as we move from the Tea Party into the alt-right movement, into everything All that Trump is doing, yeah. birtherism. And to be black and Republican amidst all of that, I don't understand. It seems to be a party that overtly does not want you, does not respect you. And to be a card-carrying member of the GOP in 2020 as a black person, I, I feel like those two things are so in conflict. For me, it would be hard. But, you know, but I can see in South Carolina, Tim is very beloved in the party. They really like him. Would they like him if he wasn't a senator? <laughs> well, I mean, but this is the thing to understand. You know, Tim was a congressperson. Uh, and then Nikki Haley, when um, right. uh, when uh, Jim DeMint stepped down, Nikki Haley picked him over Strom Thurmond's son. Oh, well, he beat Strom Thurmond's son in a congressional race to become congressman, which is, you know, unheard of. Black man in the Republican Party beating Strom Thurmond's son to win the congressional seat. And then Nikki Haley appointed him as senator, and he's been reelected since with uh, high high points. I mean, again, I, I don't agree with Tim a lot politically, but uh, just as a guy, as a person, he's a good guy. If you were to win, yeah, it would it uh, it would probably still be a Republican controlled chamber, right? It seems- maybe not. Maybe, maybe no, but it seems it seems like it will be a high bar for for Democrats to take over the Senate. Yeah, we need four seats. Yeah, so you'd still be probably still be dealing with Mitch McConnell control. Wow, I wish we had a, a sound of the face, <laughs> the scrunching of the face at the mere mention of Mitch McConnell. I mean, yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, like, and Mitch McConnell has all been all about obstruction. Yes. And you would have somebody who's saying, we're going to accomplish nothing that a Democratic president wants or everything that this Republican president wants. And we're not thinking about running the country. He seems to use the legislation as a weapon toward the next mm-hmm. election. So how do you deal with that? Well, listen. I mean, first of all, I mean, part of this part of the reason why we got to get rid of Lindsey Graham is, uh, and and then I'll I hit the Mitch McConnell component. So let me just back you up. You all, you remember the Mother Emanuel situation, mm-hmm. um, um, and the murder of those nine beautiful people, which included uh, one of my good friends, um, Senator Clemente Pinckney. Um, well. Dylan Roof, uh, the guy who murdered them, got the gun um, because of a loophole in, in the law. Uh, the House a year ago passed a bill called the Charleston Loophole Bill, which would uh, close the loophole which allowed him to get the gun. Passed the House. It's now sitting over in the Senate. Uh, now, you know, not much bipartisan has passed the House <laughs> recently. This was one of those things that did. You know who's Desit sitting on right now? Mitch McConnell. No, Lindsey Graham. Mm. 
Now, Lindsey, nine of his constituents lost their lives. And their families are still in South Carolina. And this guy is right now blocking that legislation along with, you know, with, you know, listen, with the agreement of Mitch McConnell. Right. Because he enjoys the donations from the NRA. Of course. Because the question is, who do you represent? That is the question. Do you represent 1,600 Pennsylvania? Do you represent the NRA? Or do you represent the people, the 5 million plus people in the state of South Carolina, including the nine families who, who lost loved ones? Um, and and that's, part of the, that's part of the tragedy of the McConnell-Lindsey Graham approach here, which is to bottle things up. I'm, I'm a fervent believer, have the discussion, have the debate. In the end of the day, if I lose, then I lose. But let's see if we can make progress. Let's see what we can do in order to move us forward. But what McConnell has done, and and with lieutenants like Lindsey Graham, uh, to see progress in this country just stymied because of. Uh, but you know they they are they are uh, passing judges who are unqualified. Uh, you know, like making hotcakes. I mean, it, it's just a flipping them out. I mean. It, it it it's it's unbelievable. Um, but I hope the people in in Kentucky understand that you know McConnell's not doing anything for Kentucky either. No. Um, I know it's a you know Amy uh, is, is a friend and uh, she has a, a steep challenge. But as I tell folks about my race for Lindsey Graham, they say it was a tough hill to climb. Well, hell, it's a hill worth climbing. Yeah. And we got to do it. We got to do it. Uh, tell the people about. Mitch McConnell, who do you think he is? Because you, you know, the the the. No, as he says, he's the Grim Reaper, right? Mm -hmm. The Grim Reaper of the Senate, where all bills go to die. That's not what the American people want. That's not what the Senate's supposed to be. No, that's not what the Senate's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. I mean, there are huge issues in this country right now that need to be addressed and dealt with, and we're not doing doing any of that because Mitch McConnell is standing in the doorway. We've we've seen in history of people standing in the doorway of progress, and we've we've done things in order to get them out. And once again, I think the the nation and the and I hopefully the people in Kentucky will will see what they need to do. Um, to get this guy out of out of out of the Senate, we can send him and Lindsey to Mar-a-Lago or whatever. And <laughs> you know, Lindsey's already uh, visit Mar-a-Lago than any other center. It's like, hell, Lindsey, why don't you just come home? Just just come home. The people in South Carolina are paying you a paycheck. How many other people can just not work, right, and get their paycheck? Nobody, no working person I know can just not show up to work. And go golfing all the time or, you know, go campaigning. I mean, the other day he was in New Hampshire. He was, he's the chair of the Judiciary Committee. Chair of the Judiciary Committee. Judiciary Committee was having a hearing. Another person had to chair the committee because where was Lindsey Graham? He was campaigning in New Hampshire for President Trump. That is not what the people in South Carolina pay your paycheck for. Right. If you want to do that, do that on your own time, your own free time, your Saturday. So you go ahead and you, Lindsay, you go right to New Hampshire, do your thing in New Hampshire, have fun, golf, do whatever. But when you are on our dime, you better take your ass to work. <laughs> that, that's what they would tell me. Right. So that's that's part of that's part of the frustration that I have right now, that he believes that he can do anything 
anything he wants. There's an oath that you take. There's a promise that you make that you're going to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. You have to keep your promises. You have to keep your oath. You have to do the work of the people. One of the main things that a politician has to spend time doing every single day <laughs> asking people for money. I'd rather talk to the people and how, not to those people. <laughs> how, well, how, well, how is that for you? Do you Fundraising has gone really, really well. And, and I have to thank everybody because, and we, and we are blowing it out the water in terms of small dollar donations. Um, but that's, that's working with the people, small dollar yes, donations. Yes. But you got to get yeah. big donations to really keep the train going you got to call rich people and ask them to give you a a stack of money how's that it's easier on the small dollar donations actually i mean seriously i mean when i we we look at how we were raising money i mean we've raised money from all 46 counties in south carolina and our average contribution is 27 dollars i look at my act blues it, it oscillates between 24 and 27 dollars uh, and it's, you know, folks who are just fed up with politics the way it is. But the hard part is, uh, you know, when you you have to call and ask for donations from folks that have money, because these are the people that look at, well, what is Cook pol- uh, Political Report saying? What is Stuart Rothenberg saying? They're saying that this is a red state because Donald Trump won this state with by four. First of all, they say 14 points. Donald Trump got 54 percent of the vote. They're 46 percent not. So there's not 14 points. It's eight. But nonetheless, uh, and they and and they have all this and that. And in the end of the day, it's about what's going on the ground. How do you how do you make this work? How do you bring hope back to these folks? And the energy is in South Carolina. So I'd much rather spend my time talking to the mom pops of the world and and getting those twenty seven dollar donations because we've gotten a lot of them. I mean, we have broken records in South Carolina in terms of our fundraising. Outside of the Corona Black Swan situation. Mm-hmm. What's a typical day like? How many events would you normally have during a typical campaign uh, for Senate? Yeah, so we just take this, uh, we take our Restoring Hope tour, which is probably going to become the norm uh, for us in the next few months. Um, You know, this week, again, I visited seven, eight counties, I think. Um, I was in two counties a day, at least. And in between that, I'm on while I'm driving there. I'm on the phone talking to either reporters, or, uh, local reporters about our issues or uh, about the campaign, or I, I'm calling asking for donations for the campaign, or I'm making political calls to political and community leaders asking for their support. Um, it it's a lot. It really is a lot. Or I'm approving, you know, the emails that are going out or proving the the tweets that we have to send um, uh, it's a constant grind and in in the all I, then I have to I need to go home right I, I got to play with my boys and um, I I got to you know I usually when I'm home uh, I take my son to school every every morning um, and and then I try to get back home if I can. So that I put him to bed at night, and I can read him the story, and he and I can play superheroes. He has created this his own superhero called Super Kid, that has all kinds of powers. Um, 
and and then I'm Doctor Octopus, the, the, <laughs> the bad guy, or Doctor Doom. It depends. Um, but I'm the bad guy that always loses. So uh, so you know it, it's it, it's one of those things. But I always try to stay grounded. I try to call my grandma at least once a week if I can. But it's uh, tiring. It is tiring. You know, my mom calls me and she says, "Oh, I I saw Lindsey Graham on TV and this and such." You know, my mom has become such a political. I mean, it is amazing. She sometimes breaks the news to me before my staff or or, or I get it. She's like, did you hear about such and such and such? Uh, what's going on on this and that? I was like, Mama, how did you hear all this? She's like, well, you know, all I do is sit and watch CNN all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your, you keep coming to the superhero business, what is your favorite of the MCU movies? Oh, All the Marvel movies. That's a, a huh. You know, I that is Black Panther was so of course, awesome. Of course, uh, that that's like, like no that, brainer. That's a separate. That's that, a separate that was category. like Oscar level. Like yeah. it was just so good. I can't wait for number twos. And you know, Chadwick is from South Carolina. Oh wow, yeah. Oh. Uh, that's part of why it was so good. You know, we had we had to put that South Carolina flavor on it. That's what we do, you know. But anyway, uh, um, uh, outside of that. Yeah, I really enjoyed Endgame. Okay, I really did. Like that that fight scene at the end was so. I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Look, look at you know. I mean, for me, like I loved Infinity War. Uh, Infinity War was yeah, yeah. I thought the first what two and a half hours of Endgame. Yeah, I'm like, I, I get, oh, you're killing me. I and then the final fight scene. The final fight scene was, that was just that was pretty awesome. That just blew my mind. But because the first two and a half hours, I was like, really? This is how you ending this? They're to talk, 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 talk. I'm like, you're killing me. You know what I would love for them to do, but they can't do it now. Um, but maybe they can. So my favorite series in Marvel growing up was Secret Wars. Okay. And it was, in essence, this is this guy, the Beyonder, that pulls all of, he pulls uh, the superheroes, so Fantastic Four, X-Men, Avengers, and all of them. And and then he pulls all the bad guys led by Doctor Doom, and they put them on a, a planet for them to just like fight. And in that he brings Galactus also. Okay. So like I really I really want to get I want to see more of the interaction and and Marvel has just so, done such a good job of doing some of this. So my greatest dreams as a kid seeing this on. On 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 the film and on TV have actually taken place, and 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 then you add to the um, so I want to see Galactus, like I want to see Silver Surfer and Galactus and the Fantastic Four, and and I want to see all of them together and a part of this stuff. Um, so that's what I want to see. You know, Don Cheadle is a friend of mine, um, and and uh, who plays Rhodey on uh, the War Machine. And so I'm often, and I'll tell Don, like, uh, or tweet, well, you, maybe you guys should do the, uh, Don's like, whatever. <laughs> um, but I, I'm I'm just such a comic book fiend, and I think cartoon fiend, and the Marvel fiend. And I'm just so disappointed in the, the superhero stuff on DC. Wonder Woman was fantastic, though. I really enjoyed the Wonder, Wonder yeah. Woman. I, I thought that's the best of the DC ones, and I can't wait for the new one to come out. I want to want to watch that because I thought that was it was actually of a Marvel level, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But uh, and 
I was not a Guardians of the Galaxy fan growing up in terms of reading the comics, but I've loved the movies. Oh, my God. The soundtracks are just, I mean, oh partly I get it just for the soundtrack. I mean, it's, Well, tell me about your, what music you love oh when God. you get, when you have See, your own time. I, I am, if it ain't wheels on the bus right now, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I on my know. phone, I got 101 kid rhymes and songs. Oh it's God. one of those things where you just get caught in, and so I'll talk to the staff and I'm like, oh, this and this and this I was like, I have no idea who that is because well, my, my new stuff, but just classic uh, anything, anything uh, I, ever. I grew up with my grandparents, so all our old school R and B, James Brown, mm. um, oh God, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, some of the stuff. I just my grandfather would listen to some old, like old school, old school stuff that you probably just could only find on. Uh, not even cassette. What was the the things the eight the, tracks? The eight tracks. Uh, yeah. Um, but you know, I loved I love Gladys Knight. Okay. Like I, I grew up and Glad Gladys to this day has one of the most beautiful voices that yeah. you can I mean it it's I'm one of those people that when you hear a song, and and, and Whitney was is the same way, like Whitney's voice would make you just tremble, like you like you feel something with it. Yeah. Some of the music that, that that I'll turn on, and I, it doesn't make me feel anything. Nina Simone yes. makes me feel uh, something yeah, yes, like I, nobody else. But when when they voice and they hit that note, and you're just like, oh god, like what was that? <laughs> right? What was that? But when uh, Whitney Houston, I remember I was in middle school when I first, and we had just got those Channel One. TVs all over our, our yeah. I was in high school. We had Channel One TVs on there. And so you go there during lunchtime, you can flip off and you can go to like one of the video. It was like either MTV or something like that. And when Whitney had All the Man That I, All the Man That, what was the song? All the Man I Need or, uh, what was the song? Do you, you remember? You lift me up. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, she did this thing, and she was in this white, this white suit, and then she hit this note. I was like, "Oh Jesus, that 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 was it, that was it." But Whitney had that for me, and so when she passed away, and when Michael passed away, mm. and mm. I mean, it, it's just sometimes I'm in the I'm gym and I'm working out, and then they just some of that comes on, and it it makes you like just you know you got to take a few more steps, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I'm sort of caught in a time warp right now. If it ain't the 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 sixties, the eighty late eighties, nineties stuff, then I don't I don't <laughs> listen to it. Is there any hip hop in your in your world? I didn't hear any hip hop. No, I, I just never been in I never, never really been into got hip hop. No? I was always just an R B sort of and that's I think it's a figment of between my grandparents and my mom. And that's that's all because they wouldn't like if you're in their car, my mom, boy, you better not change my channel, right? <laughs> so you just sit. Either you gonna like it or you or you or you won't. So, where um, in the work that you're doing, do you feel the responsibility to your ancestors? Oh God, not just in your personal mm -hmm. family, yeah. but also your political ancestors, people who, you know, beyond. Jim Clyburn, but the Shirley Chisholm's and you know, exactly Ed right. Burke and everybody, Brooke, who, everybody who made it possible for you to even be here. Like, where do you feel that? Where does that come out for you? Listen, uh, and I learned so much 
by working for Jim Clyburn about who my ancestors were, right? So I give you an example. The very first case um, that went to to the Supreme Court about desegregating schools was not, in most people you ask, oh, Brown versus Board. No, Brown was the last case. It's the last case of five cases. The first case was Briggs versus Elliott, which took place in Somerton, South Carolina. Actually, Thurgood Marshall worked on that case. And what the what Brown should have been called was Briggs. Because usually the tradition is that the first case that the Supreme Court gets is the named case. But Briggs was the very first case. Took place a few years before Brown, two or three years before Brown. And it was about uh, a school bus. Uh, And in essence, black folks wanted school buses for their kids because their kids had to walk miles back and forth to school every day. So they schooled the school system. Um, and many of the families lost their jobs and all that because they were going against the, the white school systems there. Uh, uh, and then Thurgood Marshall came down, uh, was a really big thing. And so I didn't know about that until I started working in Jim Clyburn's office. And so, uh, so there are five cases, the cases went to the Supreme court and the court decided to name it Brown instead of Briggs. Because the court did not want to choose a case in the South so that it appeared as though they were picking on the South with the case. Henceforth, they took the case out of Kansas uh, and made it Brown versus Board. So when I joined Clyburn staff, I was in law school, did not know the history. And Clyburn said, we need to, in celebration of Brown, we need to celebrate the very first folks who were a part of that case. So I worked and drafted the legislation to present a gold medal, congressional gold medal, to the families of the Briggs versus Elliott case uh, and in celebration of Brown versus Board. Uh, and uh, I worked on the legislation. I designed the, the medal with the U.S. Mint and the families. And so part of the, the, the embracing our ancestors is also getting to understand who they were. Yeah. And, and telling the story of the stories, because so many stories are told about, you know, take another one, Rosa Parks, right? Yeah. And people talk about Rosa Parks. A year and a half before Rosa Parks sat on that bus, there's a woman in Columbia, South Carolina, by the name of Sarah Mae Fleming. And actually, if you look in the Rosa Parks decision, in the footnotes, the judge says, we are deciding this case because of the case of Sarah Mae Fleming in Columbia, South Carolina. So again, you know, we celebrate and we should celebrate Rosa Parks, but at the same time, there are there are these he- heroes and heroines that go unnamed in terms of, of the sacrifices and the things that they have done. Um, uh, there's a, another person called Robert Smalls who people may not know of. And if there is a movie that needs to be made, it needs to be made about this man, Robert Smalls, who was a congressman, black congressman from South Carolina, grew up uh, in as a slave. He hijacked a Confederate. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals... 
Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ship. <laughs> yes. And again, like Congressman Clarence says, the most consequential, when you think about some of the most consequential South Carolinians, Robert Smalls is one of them. And so it's, it's, it's just understanding these stories and these people that, like, I would not be here. I would not be in this process without these folks who have many have gone unnamed, probably unrecognized, but their stories need to be shared because they are amazing stories. What about what is it about South Carolina that those of us who have not spent considerable yeah. time there don't understand about the state? Yes. Oh, that's it, it, it South Carolina is a very complex state in many ways. And it's like having a few states in one. Okay. Even though I mean, the, the regionally the culture is very different in the various regions of South Carolina, including the barbecue. The barbecue is different in South Carolina, too. I mean, some of South Carolina barbecue is vinegar-based. Some of it is ketchup-based. Some of it is mustard-based, the part of the South Carolina I come from. I think that's by far the better barbecue. You prefer the ketchup-based? No, the mustard-based. The mustard-based. See, my, my comms director guy comes from Mississippi. They think they know how to do barbecue. They don't know. No they know catfish. <laughs> I give them the catfish. But the, what is different about the mustard-based Must, barbecue? Mustard-based barbecue is sweeter. You got the tanginess of the mustard, but it's kind of sweet also. Which mustard? Because mustard is a oh, whole thing. Oh, in yeah. Well, I mean, you can figure out you know, the, whatever mustard you, you got. But it's it's about taking that mustard and you, you got and sugar and all this other stuff. And it is good. It is very good. And then for us, um, so... Uh, but there's vinegar base also. And the vinegar base, you find that on the eastern part of South Carolina, uh, sort of in the PD and in North Carolina, almost all of North Carolina's uh, uh, vinegar base. Um, and, and, and that's more tangy and spicy. Um, but I'm, I'm a mustard base guy. Is there, if I was to parachute in, is there, and I, I got to eat, I got to oh, eat, oh, the, I, we, we will where, where would I go? Where should I go? What is the, what is the ultimate South Carolina 
restaurant and the food that I must oh, eat. Well, I mean, you just go to Charleston, and you just go anywhere in Charleston. For instance, you can go to Anson's, which is right off of the market in Charleston, and they have the best shrimp and grits that I have ever tasted. It is slap your mama good. And Lord knows I would never slap my mama because <laughs> I probably would not live after that. But it is that good. I mean, their shrimp and grits is so, so, so good. Um, uh, and the, the bacon pieces, the, oh, oh, my God. It's just, I mean, it makes your, it's just like flavor explosions in your mouth. Um, they're also right off the market. There's a, a place called the Planner's Inn, and they have, uh, and um, uh, the restaurant's called Peninsula Grill, and they have this coconut cake that is explosions in your mouth. This is like nuclear bomb went off in your mouth, and it's like, oh, my God. This is the most – and they give you this huge chunk so that you're going to eat off of it, like, all day, and it's just like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe I've never had this before. But that's that's a great part about – because the food is all cooked with love, right? It, that's, that's, a, that's a part of it. Um, and so you just, you just want to – yeah, you just want to go. You want to go to Hemingway and go get barbecue. You want to go. Uh, I mean, Greenville has developed this really good foodie scene as well. Um, but it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful place where really nice people. Um, it gets hot, so just understand that it gets hot. So there's certain times that you want to go to South Carolina. But you go to South Carolina, you will you will say it it will easily become one of your favorite places to to go to because the people are just. I mean, really are fantastic people. Who is a model senator, either from now or historically, huh. that you're like, I would like to be like him or her if I could get in there and do things the way, have a career in the Senate like they have. That had. is an interesting, you know, I've never really thought about that. A model senator. Huh. Or is everybody doing it wrong? No, I, um... I don't right now I don't know if there would be a senator I think because of my southern perspective the the way that I look at the world coming as you know a black man from the south going into the US Senate I don't know if there's anybody really that has that type of perspective in terms of the things and the issues like who who's going to be fighting for rural communities right uh, and, and understanding the hardships that it is growing up poor and rural in, in, in a community that's rural. I just don't think sort of the priorities. And, and, and there are some great centers. Like, you know, one of my best friends is, is Cory Booker. Um, I love Cory. And, and I love many of the things that he, you know, he, he and I have a similar passion for, for many things. I've known him since I was in college. I mean, he was at Yale Law School when I was an undergrad, and he actually stayed in my dorms. Um, uh, um, in college, he was our graduate affiliate, so I've known him for a long, long time, and you know, and he's just the most genuine brother you could ever meet. Um, and so I love Corey, and I love his heart because he has such a big heart. Um, but I don't know if there are any senators right now. I mean, again, there's nobody that very few people like me in the U.S. Senate right now. So, right. what I, you know, I always ask folks, what is your superpower? What is the thing that has <laughs> allowed you to become as successful as you've become and put you in this place in your life? I think it's about interacting and knowing how to interact with people. You know, everybody, many of the folks say that, you know, Jamie, 
you don't change, right? You, you, and, and not, I mean, I think you should evolve and change, but in terms of my treatment of folks, like it doesn't matter for me if, if you are, again, you're the janitor or if you're the speaker or you're the senator or you're president. Um, I remember when I was in the private sector and I would have clients and we'd go, go, um, to, go to the Hill and uh, the security guards, you know, you, sometimes you go on Capitol Hill and there's long lines to get in the security. And some of the security guards would see me. It's like, Jamie, Jamie, is that you? Man, why are you standing in that line? Come on up here. Like, come through this. And, and you know, people would be with me and it's like, oh, man, they must really like you. And it's, and it's partly because I used to take care of them too. So when I ran the whip operation for Mr. Clyburn and, and we would have late night votes, I would I would have to get dinner uh, for I would order dinner for the members of Congress and the staff that stuck around. But in addition to ordering dinner for the members of Congress and the staff, I ordered for the custodial staff that had to stick around. I ordered for the uh, Capitol Hill police so that they could come as well because they're there protecting us also. And so those guys never forgot that. They never forgot that. And and that's and. and and that's just important to me, that you treat people the way that you want to be treated. And so I think that's that's my superpower in that. Uh, and therefore, people are very, they don't forget me, yeah. all right, because I don't forget them. Thanks so much to Jamie for an awesome interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Jerry Michael Smith, Marcus Harkis, Noel, and Sam Montez. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shonda Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday and Friday with more amazing people because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.